to the youth room. The rest of us, we're going to be continuing in our verse-by-verse study in Luke. And we're in the last chapter now. So Luke chapter 24, if you'll turn there, we'll begin reading at verse 1. If you need a Bible, Jerry has some in the back in his hands. He'll give you a Bible. We have some in the front platform for those of you who are near the front. And again, I just want to remind you, if you're visiting with us, uh, we do studies of the Bible, um, the books of the Bible, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We've been in this study of Luke for over a year, and we're just finishing it. So that's why we find ourselves in Luke chapter 24 at this time that, that we usually are thinking about. Uh, Christmas and the uh, birth of Jesus, but there is a reason why he came, and we see that in chapters 23 and 24, the crucifixion and then the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 23, we see that Jesus, our Lord, dying on the cross at Calvary, and his body is bleeding. He's shedding his blood for the sins of the world, and from that cross, he would cry out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And then that thief, one of the thieves being crucified next to him, would turn to Jesus and throw himself on the mercy and the grace of our Lord, saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, before the sun has set, you'll be with me in paradise. And we know that also that on the cross, as we read, at the sixth hour, that is at noon, to the ninth hour, there was darkness. And Luke tells us that it covered all of the earth. It covered all of the world because they had rejected the light of the world. And out of the darkness, Jesus would cry out, it is finished. And in Matthew's account at that time when he cried out, it is finished, that the veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies, the holy of holies, of course, where the tangible presence of God was, that that veil that separated those two rooms, that only the high priest was allowed to go behind that veil once a year for a short time, all of a sudden it came down. And as we know that what was taking place in that is that uh, Jesus would say that you are now able to come into the presence of the Lord, even as Hebrews chapter 10 declares that we can come boldly into the Holy of Holies in confidence, not our own confidence, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. No longer is it just a high priest who does it once a year for a short time. We can come in any time we want, stay as long as we want, and do it as many times as we want, all because the veil was ripped from top to bottom, because the Lamb of God was ripped for us. And Jesus, who knew no sin, Paul writes, became sin for you and I, the offering of sinful humanity. But specifically, always keep this in mind, that he died for you personally. He died for you individually. All of my sins, iniquity, all of my rebellion, he paid it all. And that's why he cried out, it is finished. He is saying that the work is complete. And now we come into the presence of the Lord. We have relationship with the Father, forgiven of sin. We have the hope of heaven. And we don't come into his presence uh, reluctantly or with hesitation or with doubt. But he has opened the way for us. So after Jesus breathed his last, we know that two men step into the scene. There was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They were both council members. Matter of fact, we were told by Mark's gospel that it was Joseph of Arimathea that was a prominent council member. He was a leader of the council. And also that he would take courage. He would go to Pontius Pilate, ask for the body of Jesus. Because as we discussed last week, crucified victims were still going through that 
process of being humiliated after they would die on the cross. Oftentimes, in other places of the world, their bodies would be left on the cross to rot or to be eaten of birds of prey. Oftentimes, they would be taken down. As the case, this is what was facing Jesus and being thrown into the garbage dump. The religious leaders wanted the bodies off the cross before Passover, before the Sabbath. And so what happens is Joseph of Arimathea, the council member, as well as Nicodemus, who is called the master teacher of Israel by Jesus in John chapter 3, they prepared Jesus' body for burial. And it took great courage for them to do that. Matter of fact, John's narrative tells us that Joseph, at least Joseph, and probably it was true for Nicodemus, but we're told that Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus for fear of the Jews. And they knew that when they went to ask for Pilate, for the body of Jesus to give him a proper burial because it's interesting that none of Jesus' relatives were there, his brothers, James and Jude, that you have their epistles in the back of the Bible. They didn't ask for the body of Jesus. Mary was taken away to John's house. None of the disciples, Peter, they weren't there asking for the body of Jesus. But out of the shadows come these two religious men of the council that now have relationship with him because they became believers. Secret disciples, because they knew that when they asked for the body of Jesus, that they would lose their positions in the nation, they would lose their status, they would lose their power, they would lose just about everything that they had gained in being a part of of the council and, and what that brought to them. But they said, we don't care. We're gonna go to Pilate, We're going to ask for the body of Jesus and take his body down. It was Nicodemus that brought the burial spices. It was Joseph that brought the linen uh, strips to, to wrap the body of Jesus in. And they prepared his body for burial. We know that Jesus would be then placed into a tomb that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. It was close by uh, Golgotha, that tomb that had never been used before, hewn out of the rocks. It was in a garden, and we know that Jesus would be put into the tomb, and then the tomb would be sealed with a stone. And so that's where we left off. And these two men, with great courage, would come, and they asked for the body of Jesus, no longer being secret disciples. And you see, here's the thing for us to remember. You cannot remain a secret disciple forever. There is going to be a time in your journey in life and in in your walk with the Lord that you're going to come out and say, I believe in him. And it might cost you something. Friendships, status at work, whatever the case may be. But there is nothing in this world that is worth losing or compromising to be compared to the glory that awaits for you and for me and the abundant life that he has for you. So let's go to chapter 24, verse 1. A portion of scripture we're all pretty familiar with, that now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. So here is Nicodemus and Joseph, as I mentioned. They take down the body of Jesus from the cross. They prepare him for burial. It is late in the day before sunset, right before the Sabbath, and they would hastily prepare Jesus' body for burial. And then these women uh, that are mentioned in chapter 23, we see that they're at a distance watching Jesus die for their sins. They were at a distance as they watched Joseph and, and Nicodemus prepare his body for burial, but they were eyewitnesses of him being put into the tomb. As we read in in verse 55 uh, of chapter 23, the women who had come 
with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Now that's very important. Then the Sabbath would come and they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, that is these women here, they are named to us in verse 10 of chapter 24 and that is Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Joanna. And so they come as soon as they can on the first day of the week to complete the process of applying the burial spices on the body of Jesus. And notice that phrase here as we consider this, that they come early in the morning. Now, we do know that as they came to the tomb, that they watched Jesus be put into that tomb, probably watched the stone that would be rolled in the uh, cover, the entrance of the tomb. But one of the things that they don't know what would take place that Matthew tells us is that the religious leaders would come along and they would go to Pilate and they said that, we want to make sure that the tomb is secured, that you, that you allow us to do that. Because we don't want the disciples to come and steal the body of Jesus away because he claimed that he would rise on the third day. And if that happens, it's going to be worse than anything that he's ever claimed to do or to be. And we know that it was Pilate that said, you make that tomb as secure as you can. And that's important for us to note because they would then, Matthew tells us, set a guard. Now, a guard is not just one Roman soldier, but a guard is 12 to 16 soldiers soldiers. They have spears. These guys know how to handle these spears. But also, Matthew tells us that they would seal the tomb. And what that means is as they rolled that stone uh, to, to cover the entrance of that tomb, that they put the Roman seal on uh, the front of that stone. It would be probably two leather strips in the form of an X with a Roman seal on it. And anybody that dare come along to break that seal, to roll away the stone and go in and try to steal the body of Jesus, well, first of all, they would have to face the Roman soldiers. And then second of all, if they broke the seal, that they could be punished uh, and put to death because they, they broke that seal. It's a very serious thing to be able to do that. And here are these women, as they come to the tomb, they don't know that the Roman guards are there because they're wondering, according to Matthew's narrative, who's going to roll away this stone. And they're not thinking, well, we need to ask the guards if they can roll away the, the stone. I think if they knew that the guards were there and the stone was sealed, that they probably would have said, forget it, it's not going to happen. So right now, at this time, only the religious leaders that we know of that were told in the Gospels and only Pilate and the Roman soldiers know that, that what has taken place here with the guards and the, and the tomb being sealed. But again, they come very early in the morning. And those of you who have gone through the book of of Proverbs, if you were with us in our recent study of Proverbs, they, it might ring a bell with you as you read in chapter 8 of that book that we are told that those who seek the Lord diligently will find him. I like what the King James says. The King James says that those who seek me early shall find me. And these women come very early in the morning and they make the most incredible discovery concerning our Lord ever that has been made. And I just want to encourage you and me that as we early in the morning, that as we seek him, as we rise up to, to go to the Lord, to study his word, to be in prayer, to be devoted to him and be sensitive to hearing from him, 
you're going to have some wonderful discoveries. And he's going to touch your heart in a very deep way. And it doesn't mean that we can't seek him in the middle of the day or at the end of our day. We can and we should. But there's something very special about seeking him at first when you rise up in the morning. It's before the noise, you know, begins. I know for me, after a certain time, the phone's ringing, um, the noise starts, uh, I can get interrupted. At the end of the day, I'm tired and worn out. So the beginning of the day, as they came early in the morning, John tells us while it was still dark, Mark says, when the sun had risen, it was the break of dawn. And I know about you, but I love the early mornings that way. Uh, recently, uh, with our mild weather, uh, haven't the sunrises been beautiful? They've been absolutely gorgeous. And it's a very special time for us as Christians. And again, depending on your schedule, whenever that might mean, that you seek him early. And those who seek him early shall find him. And what's the discovery that they made on this early morning, on resurrection morning, the first day of the week? Well, they found the stone, verse 2 tells us, rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And again, we know from John's gospel that the tomb that Jesus was placed in was close, actually, to where Jesus died on Golgotha in a garden. It's interesting, when you go to Israel today, you can go to where it is believed the top of Mount Moriah, where Golgotha was. You can still see that, uh, that print there on the side of the mountain that looks like a skull. And then not lo- uh, far from there, just actually a couple hundred feet, was a garden that was placed there. They have evidence of that 2,000 years ago because there was a big cistern they found that had water in it. And then there was that tomb that they discovered, and it was hewn out of the rock. So it fits the description of what the Gospels tell us. And as that uh, tomb was owned by Joseph of Arimathea, no one had ever laid in that tomb before, he, he would have the workers come and, and with hammer and chisels and, and make that tomb out of the rock there. But it had a stone, as I mentioned, as you know, that was the door of the tomb. It would have been very heavy, circular-shaped stone that would have have also a groove in the front of the entrance of the tomb. And so this stone would be rolled in this groove or channel to close the tomb, and then they could roll it back to open up the tomb. And it would take several strong men to move the stone. And they would use these fairly long poles and get underneath the stone, and they would be able to roll it. But again, uh, you couldn't push it yourself. You had to do it that way, and, and several men to do it. So these women come to the tomb of where Jesus was. And by the way, there are always those, the skeptics of Christianity, that will attack the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if anyone can disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no reason for us to be here this morning. Do you know that? It's the very foundation of our faith. And Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that we're going to talk about in just a moment. But if there's no resurrection, then we have no hope. And there are those that attack the resurrection, coming up with their theories. And one of them, as you know, uh, that we've talked about before during uh, the season of Easter or Resurrection Sunday, that is the wrong tomb theory. And what that theory says is that the women in being distraught and the disciples being so grieved that they would go to the wrong tomb and they thought that Jesus rose from the grave. Well, I think that Luke here uh, dismisses that theory because as I mentioned already in the previous chapter, Luke is 
careful to record under the inspiration of the Spirit that the women observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And then in chapter 24, it opens with them returning to the tomb. And I think it's quite clear that these women knew where Jesus was buried. And beside, if the women were wrong and the disciples were wrong, then you have the whole issue of the guards You have the whole issue of the angels that were there. Did the angels go to the wrong tomb? Did the guards go to the wrong tomb? And my question is to the skeptics is if it was the wrong tomb, then all the uh, enemies of Jesus, all they had to do when they heard the reports and the news that the body's gone, that Jesus is not there, the tomb is empty, all they had to do is say, no, you went to the wrong tomb, we're going to go to the right tomb and show you that the body is still there. But they couldn't. And they didn't. Because the body of Jesus was gone. And there's no way that these women could have rolled away the stone by themselves. It would have been way too heavy. And besides, you have the whole issue of the guards. Now, what happened to the guards was, is that early in the morning, again, as Matthew's narrative tells us, that there was an earthquake, and then an angel actually took that stone and removed the stone, put it in a place by itself, is what the grammar says, and an angel hopped up on top of the stone, and its countenance was, you know, very white. And these soldiers who are fighting men that they were so afraid they were like dead men. Finally, after the shock of seeing the angel, they would run away from the tomb. And they went to the religious leaders and told the religious leaders what had happened. Now, you would think the religious leaders would say, "Uh uh-oh, we're in big trouble. You know, what he said is true. But they would cover it up, pay him money, said, if it comes to Pilate, we'll take care of it. And we know that they would also say, tell the disciples, Tell the people, if it comes up, that the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus away, which was a lame kind of cover-up. So we know that these soldiers ran away. I just wonder if these women are coming to the tomb early in the morning if they didn't see the soldiers run by them, all afraid, wondering what that was all about. But as they come to the tomb, they find the stone rolled away. They went in. The body of Jesus was gone. And verse 4 tells us, and it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, They said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? They come and they find what they didn't expect to find. And that is angels, the stone rolled away. And they didn't find what they expected to find. And that is the tomb is empty. And as they come, verse 4 tells us that they're perplexed. They didn't say, well, of course, it's the resurrection. It's got to be. They're perplexed about all of this. And here are... These, these two men that we know from the other Gospels that are told to us that are angels. And on this resurrection morning, there were angels that were seen, one that rolled away the stone, as I mentioned to you, sitting on top of that stone. Matthew says that his countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow. And the angel would answer and said to the women, you know what's interesting, guys? Those of us who think we're so tough and everything, that when the soldiers saw the angel, they freaked out. When the women saw them, they didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> I just uh, thought. So, so they, you know, the angel answers the women. You know, they're wondering, what is this all about? And the angel said, don't be afraid. 
said, I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here for he's risen as he said. Now come and see the place where the Lord lay. And now Dr. Luke picks up the account with them in verse 3 that they went in, didn't find the body of Jesus, and they were perplexed. And then these two angels stood by them in shiny garments. Kind of interesting that at the birth of Jesus, that those shepherds out there in the field, that you know the story, that is told to us that behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all peoples. Not just to you shepherds, not just to the people of Israel, but to all people. And the very first message from the angel at the birth of Jesus was, Don't be afraid. And the very first message to these women at the resurrection of Jesus is, Don't be afraid. So what does does that mean for you and for me? It means that at this Christmas, if you're feeling anxious and you're afraid, you're wondering because of circumstances that you face, the uncertainty that that you find yourself in, maybe the new year, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about the new year, I I get a little anxious and what's it going to be like and what's going to happen. I become a little bit afraid at times and perhaps you go through that for whatever reason it might be and the message of the Lord that we have this morning is we don't have to be afraid because we believe in a risen Lord and he's alive and he's given us a living hope. And I pray that this Christmas season and as we go into the new year that we would remember that. And so these two men, shining garments, now the other gospel writers tell us again that these two men were indeed angels. And of course, Luke's description gives us that confirmation which has kind of an interesting implication that angels actually appear as to men as men. The women saw two men, and sure, they were shining, but they're appearing as men nonetheless. When we go into the book of Hebrews after the first of the year, that the last chapter of Hebrews tells us that don't forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwillingly, unknowingly entertained angels. So you and I as believers, we were told in God's word that be hospitable because the writer of Hebrews declares that we entertain angels unaware. Kind of an interesting verse, isn't it? So perhaps, perhaps the people you've been hospitable to maybe help somebody out on a stranded on the side of the road. Maybe that conversation with that stranger as you're standing in line at the grocery store. Here at Calvary Chapel, we've had a lot of visitors And maybe, just perhaps, could it be that that stranger that sat next to you, maybe even this morning that you don't know, could it be that they're an angel? They're probably not, but you wonder about that. (laughs) And I just wonder, when we get to the other side of eternity, if if it's going to be told to us or we're going to become aware or whether we're even going to care how much we were in the presence of angelic beings, and we didn't even know it. So Luke here tells us that these angels were appearing as men, and they said to the women, why do you seek the living among the dead? And I love that phrase. Now, there's a phrase that really is worthy of our considering this morning. Ladies, why are you seeking the living amongst the dead? And today, people are still doing that. They will look at Jesus, they'll study Jesus, they'll study his words, and they'll say he's a great example of a great humanitarian or 
you know, a great role model. Uh, they like to study his life and see how he handled different situations. And, and, oh, I believe in the Sermon on the Mount. And I love when he says, turn the other cheek. And, and people will study him philosophically. They'll study him theologically. They'll study him religiously. But they're dead to him. He's dead to them because they have not embraced him as Lord and Savior. And we as Christians, as I bring it home just a little bit closer, we don't want to fall subtly into that air that he's distant from us. We need to understand that this morning he is really here. We're not talking about just the thoughts of Jesus or about the memory of Jesus. We're talking about Jesus saying, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in the midst of them. And he is here right now with us. And if we ever really begin to grasp that, how it will affect the way that we worship and the way that we pray and the way that we study and how we treat each other and how we talk to one another. If we can really grasp the fact that he is here right now, that he's truly amongst us. So we don't want to treat him as though, again, being distant or not present. We don't want to just look at him philosophically or intellectually or just theologically, religiously. But he's here. And he dwells inside of you. And he is desiring to speak to us as the word goes forth and to stir our hearts. And whenever we hear something that really strikes us or convicts us or challenges us through the word, not just to to underline it in your Bible or highlight it or write notes in your Bible, that's a great thing to do. But talk it over with the Lord. And even as you sit here in this place, that Lord, you're, you're speaking to me. And I thank you, and that challenges me, and Lord, that convicts me, and Lord, forgive me and change me. And that's the wonderful thing about having a a relationship with the Lord, because we know that our Christianity isn't just about religion, it's about relationship with him. And here are these angels that say, why are you in a place of the dead cemetery looking for one who is alive? I like that the angels, they're perplexed now. Interesting that the women come, they're perplexed because there's no body there. The the stone is rolled away. The angels are perplexed thinking that, why are you here, you know, in this place, not knowing that he said to you, he's going to rise from the grave. You know, why do you seek the living one among the dead one? And in the Greek, it is the living that is singular, plural, the dead. Why are you seeking the living one among the dead ones? And people still do that today. There are people, perhaps you know some, they'll go to seances, they'll try to talk to their dead relative, or they claim to go to somebody who does channeling and all kinds of strange occultic practices. There are people that that wonder, and I know that all of us, we know of them, that they think, is there more to this life? Do we have any hope? You know, there's an emptiness that is in their hearts. And I want to remind you and I that as we talk with them, And as we minister to them, to remind them that Christianity is a living relationship with the living Savior. It is fellowship with him. And we see the incredible price that was paid by our Savior so we can have this incredible relationship with him and fellowship with him. And always keep this in mind that as Revelation chapter 4 declares, that you were created for his good purposes, for his good pleasures, to worship him, to know him, to walk with him, to be used of him. And anything less than that, 
is going to leave anyone empty and unfulfilled and unsatisfied in life. You are made to have a relationship with the living God, with the living Savior, to walk with him, to know him, to enjoy him. And as you do, you're going to have great joy in your heart. You're going to be fulfilled and you're going to be blessed in every way. And you may be here and never, maybe you've never embraced the Lord. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to him, to come to him for forgiveness of sin, to come into right relationship with the Father, to have the hope of heaven. He's calling you even today to give your heart to him. And so here is this, this angel that is saying uh, these things to this woman and saying in verse 6, he's not here but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Of course, Jesus had been talking to his disciples about his death for several months. And I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over and die for uh, sinful humanity. He never talked about his crucifixion with also mentioning his resurrection. But note here in verse 6 that, that don't you remember how he spoke to you? When do I become hopeless? And when do I become discouraged and down and, and, and anxious? When I forget the words that the Lord speaks to me. When I forget the word of God and the promises of God. That he loves me and he's with me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. He promises he's going to work all things for good for those who love him. That he will supply all our needs in Christ Jesus. When I forget those things and I forget that he's alive then I become discouraged and hopeless. And as they're hearing the angel say that he's risen, he's not here. Don't you remember the perplexity is now coming into clarity because they're remembering his word. And as we remember his word, then the hope comes and the joy and the encouragement and the building up. It will be true for these disciples and it's true for you and for me. The most incredible words ever spoken in the history of mankind, he is risen. And as I mentioned, it's the very foundation of our faith, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 13, that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. The preaching of Paul, as he tells us in that chapter, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 9, and they returned from the to and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Here they are with the greatest message ever proclaimed in the history of mankind being used. And why were these women used to give this message to the apostles, which would then give the message to all the world? They were used because they were there. I believe that the Lord uses those who are devoted to him, who love him, who say, here I am, Lord, use me. Remember that in our study on Wednesday night of Isaiah, that Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord say, who will go for us? And he said, I will use me, Lord. And that's how we are used as we love the Lord, devoted to the Lord. But we are also available to give that message to others. And if I or you pull away from the opportunity 
to minister, especially in this Christmas season, as you will be with family, you will be with coworkers, you will be with others as you gather to be able to give this message that Jesus, yes, was born. That's the reason for the season, that he, our Savior, was born in Bethlehem, and there was a purpose he was born, and that is to die for you, and he rose from the grave, and he is your hope to give that message to others. But if we pull away, then we will miss the opportunity to minister that message to others. If we say, Lord, and we're not sensitive to his leading, I'm just going to be quiet. Be sensitive to the leading of the Lord for you to give that message to others. And here these women go and tell the, the disciples that are hiding. In verse 11, their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. And Peter arose, ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself what had happened. At first, the apostles think, these women, they're delusional. And here are these guys, they're all hiding, they're afraid, they have no hope. You know, they're down, they're depressed. And here come these women bubbling with excitement. He's alive. And there's a message. There's a message, Mark says, to tell you disciples and Peter, especially Peter, you tell Peter that I'm alive. And the last time that we saw Peter, where was he? He was weeping in the courtyard of Caiaphas because he had denied the Lord. And I'm sure that Peter's thinking back to that night that happened, that Jesus said, that Peter, I'm praying for you, that your faith may remain. And when you have returned to me, strengthen the brethren. Something stirs in Peter, and John tells us that Peter and John ran to the tomb. John gets there first. He stops at the entrance, he, entrance of the tomb. He looks in. Peter, he comes barreling in, and they both see the grave clothes, and they believed. He is alive. And we're going to see and pick it up next week as Jesus is going to appear to those disciples. But this morning, he is alive. The tomb is empty. And we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you for this, again, familiar portion of Scripture. And as we come to the communion table this morning, that we come holding the elements, knowing that we have this wonderful relationship and fellowship with our Savior, this new covenant that we belong to based on Jesus' body being broken and his bloodshed for forgiveness of sin. And that's not the end of the story. He rose from the grave. And I pray if there's anyone that is here that you've never embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. He loves you. He died for you. Will you surrender your life to him to be forgiven? to come in the right relationship with the Father and have the hope of heaven. And you can pray right where you are, sincerely, that Jesus, I come to you a sinner. But you died for my sins. I believe that on that cross. And you were put into a tomb and you rose again. And you're alive, speaking to my heart. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to walk with you and I want to know you. And I want to, Lord... Just draw close to you. And I thank you for dying for me and your love proven to me. I want to walk with you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. And if anybody made a decision for Christ this morning, as the word's gone forth and the invitation, as we close here in just a few minutes, as uh, one of the elders or Pastor John's up front, 
come up and tell them the decision that you made, but we're going to hand out the communion elements, and then we're going to hang on to them, partake of them together. <laughs>